text for this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. I think it's funny that Matthew said he's the one who needs a haircut. Um, I most definitely need a haircut. You can ask my wife. She would tell you the same thing. Uh, Well, good morning uh, to those of you joining us on Zoom and to those of you uh, joining us via our live stream. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. For those of you who haven't met me, my name is Josh Poor. I'm the worship and community life pastor here at Trace Crossing as of February, uh, which means leading you in worship and serving you as a pastor, has come mostly in the context of a global pandemic. Be that as it may, uh, (laughs) uh, we just want to say, I know I speak for for Lydia, my wife and I, we just want to say that we have been so blessed by you, despite the fact that uh, we were not anticipating getting rolling here in Tupelo uh, within the context of a global pandemic, we have been so blessed by you from all of the gifts to the food, to the encouraging words, uh, to the grace and patience that you've shown with me, to the way that you have welcomed and embraced Lydia and our children, to the way that you've sheltered us during those Easter storms. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, We left behind a dear faith family in Wisconsin, and the Lord has been so good to provide us with such a dear faith family right here at Trace Crossing in Tupelo. We are thankful to God for you, and We also are so looking forward to when we can join you again in in person to to worship together. But until then, we want you to know that we're here for you, we're praying for you, and we want to love and serve you in whatever way we can. So so don't hesitate to reach out. Now, our text for today is is somewhat of a strange text, and it just happened to fall uh, to me on my first Sunday preaching, or did it? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I don't think I don't think Matthew would set me up. I I, I don't I don't think that. Uh, but it is a strange text, albeit it is no less God's word for us today than is John three sixteen, which means it's no less authoritative and instructive for us than is John three sixteen or any other part of God's word. But it is a strange text. You know, it seemingly comes out of nowhere, or, you know, at the very least, it's a pretty sharp left turn from verse 6 to verse 7, from faith working through love to, you were running well, what happened? And then Paul goes on to deliver a series of what one scholar calls in this text, just snorts of indignation. Uh, And and then in verse 13, he seems to pick back up the thought that was kind of left there in verse 6. In fact, I want you to hear how this sounds as, as just an exercise. Uh, I'm going to read verse 6 and then go straight on to verse 13, skipping our text for today. Uh, Verse verse 6 and then verse 13 of Galatians 5. Listen to this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, be honest. Did you even notice when I went from verse 6 to 13? You might have if you're familiar with this text, but uh, it has a great flow to it, right? And so why do we need verses 7 through 12? What are we missing if we don't have verses 7 through 12? In verse 13 and onward, as we'll see from next week, Paul is clearly developing what he establishes in verses 1 through 6. There's a continuity of thought and, and argumentation there. So, so why 7 through 12? Why this strange text? Well, the easy answer, I know some of you are thinking, well, it's in God's word, right? So we need it. Well, that's true. But when we look more deeply at these so-called snorts of indignation, which as an aside, I, I think is a mischaracterization of what's, what's really going on here. Uh, when we look more deeply at these verses, we see just how important they are to our understanding of what has been presented and to what's going to unfold in the book of Galatians. Now, I came into this text, to be honest, in, you know, preparing to preach this text with a bit of trepidation. Uh, but as the week progressed, I have to say, I became more excited about it, more challenged by it, more convicted by it, and more encouraged by it, and, and by this text, more convinced that what Matthew said last week is true, that if we get Galatians 5, if we allow God by his spirit to drive the truths we find in Galatians 5 deep down in our hearts, we will become the happiest and holiest people in Tupelo. We'll become the kind of church that, that sinners and the unchurched will be drawn to. Verses 7 through 12, our text for today, they help to solidify that. My hope and prayer is that we'll, we'll collectively we'll, we'll see that in this text. Now, speaking of happiness and holiness, maybe you find yourself today fighting for joy, like striving for happiness and fulfillment in your life, and you often come up empty-handed. Maybe because of the effects of this pandemic, or maybe it's circumstances that, that started long before this crisis or may persist long after this crisis. You're struggling to find joy and to feel fulfilled in your work, in your, your family, in your health, whatever it might be. Or maybe for some of you, the, the, the fight is for holiness. You want to be a good Christian and, and show the, the good fruit of the Spirit in your life, but you're finding it hard to be motivated. You want to follow the rules where... Well, excuse me, you don't want to follow the rules we're supposed to follow as Christians in order to earn favor with God. I mean, you've been listening to our sermon series on Galatians, and so you understand that as a Christian, you have all of God's favor because of the finished work of Christ. But nonetheless, you find yourself performing, wanting to feel more satisfied and validated because of the good things that you do. Now, all of us, all of us are either now or have been or will be at some point on this continuum between fighting for happiness and fighting for holiness. And here's the beautiful reality of this text. When we bring it to bear on our lives, wherever we are, the truth of these verses will help us by God's spirit become the happy and holy people and church we were created to be. And here's how. The main idea of our text today. To be happy and holy, we need to obey the truth of the gospel. To be happy and holy, we need to obey the truth of the gospel. Now, I know that might sound strange, right? Because so much of what we've been preaching throughout Galatians is exactly what Galatians is, is all about. And that's that Christ has set us free from 
relating to God on the basis of our obedience. And he set us free for freedom, that we may live freely as the new men and women that we are. So how can it be right to say that to be happy and holy, we need to obey the truth of the gospel? Well, the answer to that is found in these verses. By looking at how we obey the truth of the gospel, what it means to obey the truth of the gospel, we'll see that obeying the truth of the gospel is exactly how we grow in happiness and holiness. So how do we obey the truth of the gospel? Three ways. We obey the truth of the gospel by rooting our lives in the power of the cross, resisting the persuasion of the enemy, and running with God's promises in our hearts. So first, we obey the truth of the gospel by rooting our lives in the power of the cross. In verse 7, Paul says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The word hinder there literally means to cut in on. Like someone cutting in front of you in line or pulling out in front of you in traffic. As, as some of you were thinking about fighting for holiness this past week, you were fighting for holiness because somebody cut you off in traffic. Uh, so some of you have recently experienced that. Uh, the Galatians were running well in their obedience to the truth until the Judaizers came in and they cut in on their progress, hindering them by insisting that their salvation was incomplete, that Christ alone was not sufficient, insisting that they needed to be circumcised. And Paul is outraged. And this is not, nor are the other verses to follow, a snort of indignation. We need to see this sort of break in Paul's flow as the righteous anger of a father who sees that someone is trying to hurt his children. He's already referred to the Galatians in chapter 4 as his little children, for whom he is in anguish to see Christ formed in them. And he is infuriated righteously and justifiably because there are those who want to hurt his children. Now, for those of you who have children, you get this, right? Like, woe to anyone who would dare harmfully lay a, lay a hand on your child. Or even if you don't have children, we can all relate to and celebrate Liam Neeson's character in, in the movie Taken, right? Like Liam Neeson, who has a specific set of skills to find and bring to justice the, the person who's responsible for kidnapping his daughter. Just understand Paul in this text as Liam Neeson from Taken. That's the tone. That's what's going on here. This is why Paul interrupts the flow of his argument. This is why Paul would go straight from faith working through love to you are running well. He is righteously angry. And his, his faith is working through his love for the Galatians in the way that he warns them. And as we'll see, condemns anyone who would lead them astray. Because he loves the Galatians and he doesn't want to see them get hurt by being hindered from obeying the truth. And that is what is at stake here. That's why the Galatian Christians are in danger. Not obeying the truth in this case is abandoning the truth of the gospel. Not obeying the truth in this case doesn't have to do with their outward actions as if they're not following a certain set of rules. Not obeying the truth in this case means not believing the truth of the gospel. It means not rooting their lives in the power of the cross. Obeying the truth, as Tom Schreiner says, means believing the truth. Obeying the truth means believing the truth. Obeying the truth means rooting our lives in the power of the cross. In verse 11, Paul makes this point, and it's like he's saying, look, if I was still preaching circumcision as opposed to Christ crucified, why would they be persecuting me? I mean, the Judaizers say that my message isn't so different from theirs. After all, as a former Pharisee, I used to insist on circumcision, 
but why then are they persecuting me if our, uh, if our message is the same? No, 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 no. They're persecuting me because they're offended. Not by me, but by the message I'm actually preaching. The offense of the cross. The offense that says Jesus and not your works. Jesus and not your status. Jesus and not your money. Jesus and not what or who you know. Jesus alone is sufficient to save those who place their faith and trust in him. The cross is an offense and stumbling block to some, but to the ones who are called, as 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. And whereas the Judaizers had been offended by the cross, the Galatians had rooted their lives in its power, believing the truth of the gospel that had been preached to them. And because Paul will stop at nothing to help the Galatians remain rooted in the power of the cross, he doesn't remove the cross's offense. Timothy George says it this way, by trimming his message, Paul could have removed the offense of a crucified Christ, but a crossless Christianity, then as now, leaves men and women helpless in the face of sin and death. And church, to obey the truth of the gospel, we must believe the truth of the gospel, rooting our lives in the power of the cross. You gotta see that this obedience, this kind of obedience is an obedience of faith. It's like Paul wants to double down on this point before he moves on to all the ethics and exhortation that comes later in Galatians. Just in case, in reading this text, we examine our hearts and find that we're overly ready to move on to the practical stuff, to the rules, to the part where we're finally just told what we need to do. If we feel that way, we should pause and take a beat and we should feel today the loving correction of our Heavenly Father through this text. Obedience is more like disobedience if it doesn't first flow from obeying the truth of the gospel, believing the truth of the gospel, rooting our lives in the power of the cross. And as we do that, never thinking we can or should outgrow the truth of the gospel, we'll be more equipped to resist the persuasion of the enemy. So to be happy and holy, we need to obey the truth of the gospel by rooting our lives in the power of the cross and secondly, by resisting the persuasion of the enemy. In verse eight, Paul says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Those who had cut in on the Galatians' progress in the gospel were insisting on circumcision as a means by which they were to relate to God. And by the way, I don't think he uses a word that means to cut in on by accident. After all, what the Judaizers had cut in to insist was a surgical requirement. Nice wordplay there. And Paul says this persuasion, this circumcision is necessary. He says what they're claiming, that it's necessary, he's saying that is a lie. It is not from God, and therefore it cannot be the truth. To believe and not resist that anything other than Jesus or anything along with Jesus is necessary for us to relate to God is by nature to not believe the truth. Obeying the truth of the gospel requires that we resist the persuasion of the enemy. But what enemy? Like, who's he talking about here? If it's not from God, this persuasion, who's it from? Well, in Galatians, as we've already seen, the Judaizers 
are in view as the Galatians' enemy, but we know who is really at work in the Judaizers, right? It's that ancient serpent, the devil, with his ancient lie that's no different here than it was in the garden. Did God really say that Jesus is enough? Did God really say that you can belong to the people of God without being circumcised? Did God really say that? Church, we need to see he is still our enemy. His lie is still ours to resist. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we are far too easily persuaded to not obey the truth of the gospel. We're far too easily persuaded to feel like we don't belong with God and his people if we don't do certain things or wear certain clothes to church or read the right authors or listen to the right music or use the the right quiet time guides or, or pray with the right refined Christianese language. I know I'm often persuaded uh, to think those things. But rest assured, God says to us, as he did to the Galatians, that persuasion is not from him. And we need to obey the truth of the gospel by resisting the claim that Christ alone is not enough. Paul goes on in verse 9 to use a saying that he uses elsewhere in the New Testament. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The idea here is that just a little yeast or fermented dough from a previous batch of bread could be put into a new batch uh, and would make its way into the rest of the dough and cause it to rise. And, uh, and that's, that's basically what it means, but there's a meaning behind the meaning, and it's pretty simple. Evil spreads effectively and rapidly. And John Stott uh, says about this verse, one of the most serious things about evil and error is that they both spread church, they spread rapidly. Here's a great quote that I've loved. I've been waiting to put this into a sermon for so long. I absolutely love it. Uh, It originated from Jonathan Swift in the early 18th century, but it was popularized by Charles Spurgeon a bit later. And it goes like this, a lie will go around the world while the truth is still pulling its boots on. A lie will go around the world while the truth is still pulling its boots on. We all know that. We all have experienced that, I'm sure. And apparently this lie had begun to spread and was continuing to spread in Galatia. And here's what's troubling about it. When we think about this little quip, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. For yeast to be effective in a loaf of bread, it has to get into the dough. If the yeast stays on the counter, it's not going to be effective in spreading throughout the rest of the batch and causing it to rise. Yes, the the Judaizers had infiltrated the Galatian churches, but would their false teaching have begun to spread so quickly if at least some of the Galatian Christians had not begun to believe what they were teaching? We as a church are never more in danger of straying from the truth of the gospel than when one of our own is persuaded to stray from the truth of the gospel. Paul makes that clear in verse 10. He says that he is confident that whoever is troubling the Galatians will bear the penalty. Whoever he is. That's not unlike what he says back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. When he says, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. 
Now, I think I speak for Matthew and Avery when I say, if you ever hear us preaching or teaching something contrary to the truth of the gospel, the most loving thing you could do for us, for the congregation as a whole, is to be like Liam Neeson and Taken and take us out. I'm kidding. No, please don't do that. (laughs) But the most loving thing you could do if you find us to be preaching something contrary to the gospel is to call us out. We're inviting you to do that. Call us out. Paul's faith, working through love to warn the Galatians, teaching them what it means to obey the truth, is the same kind of faith working through love that we need to demonstrate and administer to one another. Church, we need to guard one another in the truth of the gospel by resisting together the persuasion of the enemy that Christ is not enough. And what does that look like? Like how do we come together to resist the persuasive lies of the enemy? Well, it means exactly that. We come together to help one another remain rooted in the truth of the gospel. Even during this pandemic, we stay connected to one another. We bring the truth of the gospel to bear on one another's lives and circumstances. We help one another to become more happy and holy in Christ, reminding one another that we all belong to God and to each other. And that's not on the basis of our performance as Christians, not on the basis of our status in the community, not on the basis of the quality of our lives in any way. We remind one another that we belong to God and to each other solely on the basis of our faith in the free gift of God through Christ. The lie of the enemy, the lie that we need to help one another resist is that salvation, the salvation that God grants is not unconditional nor is it impartial, but the truth of the gospel speaks a resounding no to that lie. His salvation is completely unconditional, and it is radically impartial. Just as God is impartial in his judgment of those, whoever they are, who falsely teach, God is gloriously and beautifully impartial in his saving of those, whoever they are, who believe and obey the truth of the gospel. So we are unconditionally and impartially saved, and our faith works through love in the way that we unconditionally and impartially embrace one another as God's happy and holy people, which is more than we can say for those who would seek to hinder us in our obedience of the truth of the gospel. Paul has a shocking thing to say to those hinderers in verse 12, and some of you uh, have been waiting for me to get to this verse. Like, what is he going to say about verse 12? Well, it is shocking when he says this. I wish that those uh, who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, some people not really understanding what Paul is communicating here have deemed this statement to be crude and, and really out of place in Scripture I say of Paul what my mama used to say of me and my siblings when we would say things that we shouldn't have. She'd tell us we were rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. And I can still hear her voice in my mind saying that. Rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. And while what Paul says certainly seemed to be rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, he's actually making a brilliant point with some brilliant wordplay again, and we shouldn't miss that. Here's what he's saying. For those who seem so concerned with circumcision and obsessed with it, he basically says, why not go all the way? It's pretty harsh, right? But here's what makes it so brilliant. He's not advocating for the Judaizers to to physically harm themselves in that way. 
because the Galatians would have been all too familiar with this terrible custom practiced by their pagan neighbors, they would have gotten what Paul is saying, that the Judaizers are no different than pagans. And even more deeply than that, there's a metaphorical sense to to what he's saying to this statement. Those who are disturbing the Galatians with a false gospel are cutting themselves off from God's family. And the irony is that what they insist, namely circumcision, for inclusion in God's family, that's what they're telling the Galatians, you have to be circumcised to be included. Well, that's the very thing that cuts the Judaizers off from God's family. But before we point the finger and feel ourselves to be above such a wicked belief, let's not forget that Paul's righteous anger in this text is directed at the Galatians as well. We, in and of ourselves, are not above or immune to being persuaded to not believe and obey the truth of the gospel. So we shouldn't so quickly desire to move on to the practical ethics and instructions of the rest of Galatians 5 and 6. We shouldn't so quickly want to run forward in our journey of faith before we have become relentlessly gospel-centered. Obeying the truth of the gospel by rooting our lives in the power of the cross and resisting the persuasion of the enemy relentlessly, stubbornly, obnoxiously gospel-centered. Yes, may it be said of us, Trace Crossing, that we are obnoxiously gospel-centered. Because only then will we run the race we were called to. Because we will be running with God's promises in our hearts. We obey the truth of the gospel by rooting our lives in the power of the cross, resisting the persuasion of the enemy, and finally, by running with God's promises in our lives. And in verse 10, despite the frustration Paul feels with the Galatians, he says this, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. That view being that the Galatians had been lied to, and actually, the gospel they had received and And by which they had been called was true. But what gives Paul this confidence? Is it that he's going to out-debate the Judaizers and he's going to more successfully persuade them? Is he confident because he believes the Galatians will once and for all rise to the occasion and they'll prove themselves to be a faithful church? And maybe we would be left to to ponder those considerations considerations if the scripture didn't say so clearly that Paul's confidence is where? In the Lord. His confidence that the Galatians will persevere because he believes deep down what he writes to the Philippians elsewhere. He, that's God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Galatians had been assured that because of their faith, they had been counted as sons of Abraham. The Galatians, Gentiles, had been counted as sons of Abraham. They'd been blessed because of the work of Christ and had received the promised spirit and had become heirs of salvation. Because of that, because of the Lord, Paul had every reason to believe and be confident that they would persevere. His confidence was in the Lord. Last week, Matthew walked us through verses 1 through 6, and he made the point that God has not only set us free, but he wants to feel that freedom deep down and live as the free men and women That we are. God wants us to obey the truth of the gospel by running with his promises in our hearts. 
that the cross has really set us free to relate to him not on the basis of our works so we can boldly resist any other persuasion the enemy throws at us. God wants us to run with confidence that he will complete the work that he began in us. Church, can you imagine how happy and how holy we'll be if we run this race of life with that kind of freedom and, and, and without fear, inhibition, like the way Phoebe runs in that episode of Friends. If you know the one I'm talking about, if you've seen it, I think it's actually called The One Where Phoebe Runs, like crazy through Central Park. Or like my two-year-old Miriam, like talk about running with freedom and without inhibition. It's a beautiful thing to see and how beautiful it would be for us to run in that way. And that's not an endorsement for careless Christian living, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But it is to say that we have a remarkable new motivation for life. And that's this promise that we as Christians all have, and we should feel deep down in our hearts for freedom Christ has set us free. So let me ask you this morning, are you running with that promise right now? Or are you constantly looking down to make sure you don't step out of place? Or are you constantly looking around you to judge others' performance or see who might be judging you? Or are you constantly looking behind you to, to feel accomplished at how far you've come or to feel bad about how little progress you've made? Now, I don't think I need to tell you that is no way to run. That is no way to live. That is no way to be happy and holy in fact, that's a really good way to get tripped up and hindered. So church, let's help one another remain rooted to the power of the cross. Let's help one another resist the persuasion of the enemy. Because in doing so, we'll be helping one another to run with God's promises in our hearts. May that be so of us, Trace Crossing. So why verses 7 through 12? Why these strange verses? Well, I hope you see that it's like God, our Heavenly Father, wants to tell us, His dear children, wait, wait, just one more thing. There are wonderful, wonderful, beautiful words of life in store for you in the coming verses. But lest you be tempted and swayed to take these instructions and use them to garner favor with me and others, wait. Don't forget that your obedience to the truth of the gospel, your faith in me, is what works through love and all the other fruits of the Spirit. Don't forget that. And then watch me explode your life and your church with happiness and holiness. Would you pray with me?